Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Off Holden Kushner alongside Ryan Spader. He's at the Ace of Spader on Twitter. I'm at Holden Radio. Good show set up for you today. Should the Dodgers get some compensation if Mookie Betts doesn't play one game for him this year because of the pandemic? We'll have Spader's stats with Mookie Betts, Dave Steeb, and Nolan Ryan. Players are open to games without fans. We'll talk about that. Plus, uh, Spader has a good bullpen catcher story where he gets kicked in the nuts and has to drink dip. My friend, how the hell are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. Looking forward to doing this again. Speaking of the mic. So I am. <laughs> Mookie Betts, right? So Mookie Betts goes from the Boston Red Sox to the L.A. Dodgers. They give up some prospects to the Dodgers. We may not have a season this year, which is fascinating. So I wonder, do you think that there should be any compensation whatsoever for the Red Sox or for the Dodgers in this instance? I don't think so, not at all, because if you look at that, then where do you draw the line? Like, of course, Mookie Betts is a head above all else superstar, but then where do the cards fall? Where, oh, it's this somebody deserves compensation for a lesser player of Mookie Betts, and then it continues to fall. It's, it's just the way the cards fell this year. I do think there's still going to be some sort of baseball season, and Mookie Betts will play a little bit in a Dodgers uniform. But uh, I, I do kind of in, almost envision a scenario in which – he doesn't play with the Dodgers at all, even though he was technically with the Dodgers, and then goes back to the Red Sox, finishes his career with the Red Sox, uh, and then still technically was not a career member of the Red Sox. So if we do a baseball card, do we put the Dodgers on his baseball card for 2020 and just put a dash there and just put coronavirus? What do we do? I, I kind of think that's what's going to happen if there was no season at all. Um, I mean, you see it the, the same thing. You didn't see him on the baseball cards there, but you saw him on baseball reference pages. You go to Ted Williams' page, you see um, did not play uh, military service for the World War II years. You see that with a number of guys. So I think that's the same kind of thing you would see for all baseball cards in the event of uh, no season this year. But again, I think there will be a season. I'm starting to think I'm going to lose my bet to you, but uh, I think there still will be a season this year. I do think that we will have some games. Um, again, I, I don't think it's going to be until after the start of, of June, if we if we even get into June, maybe get into July. And we'll talk about um, Clayton Kershaw's comments and how it's going to – he thinks it's going to take about 20 days for the players to get ready and the starters can go out and play three innings at a time. What I think, though, is that you know teams should just stop making trades in the offseason because of the possibility of a pandemic. Like why – how did the Dodgers <laughs> not know that this was going to happen? 
How do I even respond to that? You're like, such how, a... do you, how do you actually make this deal, uh, Red, uh, Dodgers? Just so stupid. It's like, um, you know, nobody should trade in the offseason, Spader. It's just bad. The hot stove needs oh. to go cold. You trade like 10 days before spring training starts. Just because, let's face it, these thing, type of things, we could have nuclear war. We could have a pandemic. Horrible things could happen, and I just think this is stupid. I guess that's why nobody traded for Magic Johnson <laughs> too soon. <laughs> oh, fine point, my friend. That was, a, that was a good comeback, and I don't know how many people are actually going to get that, but you should be able to get it. In all seriousness here, here's what I would do. If, and the season has to be canceled, okay? This is not – if they play – even 10 games, you don't do it. I think that if Mookie Betts doesn't play this year, I think any player that got traded in the offseason and, and that team ended up giving up prospects or players should get a compensatory pick. And I think it should be based on uh, the, the player statistics from 2019. So let's say the Dodgers and don't get any Mookie Betts this year. Well, I, I think a compensatory first-round pick would be fine with me. Uh, if it's a scrub, if it's a player that just got dealt for some you know, B-level minor leaguer, maybe you give him a compensatory pick at the end of the fifth round. But I, I do think if a player does not play this offseason and it's because of this crazy coronavirus, maybe a compensatory pick at the end of the first round is fine. See, you're saying based on the player's skill level, the only thing that's you could give a team that's, I, I, I would even say, fair in return for Mookie Betts is you'd have to give the Dodgers like the first three picks of the next Major League Baseball draft. I realize you're saying a compensatory round, but I I, I don't really care that much about the draft that if they add rounds after pick number uh, 30 uh, that I'm going to bat an eyelash. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I don't really care either way, though, to be honest. And I don't think it's going to make a major impact to either uh, organization eat. Uh, for that matter. All right, let's move on. We got Spader's stats, stats, stats. We got three today. Speaking of Mookie Betts, we got some Mookie Betts. We got some Dave Steeb, uh, which you wrote a column on. And, and I've been always fascinated with the Blue Jays pitchers' numbers. And then uh, Nolan Ryan as well. So let's start with Mookie Betts and what the Dodgers are getting here with this guy. So Mookie Betts really was supposed to be like a generation Red Sox, a Ted Williams type of guy. And his, his numbers prove that. 2018, his MVP season, where he played 136 games, he accumulated 10.9 war, uh, wins above replacement. And that's good for 12.98 war 162. 12.98. You look at the greatest Red Sox player of all time, Ted Williams. His um, best war 162 season, his career high, was 11.72 in 1946. So you're talking about a season. Of course, Mookie Betts didn't have the 400 season or hit the Triple Crown, but you're talking about a season that overall as a whole was better than what Ted Williams had done in his best season if you uh, put enough stock in wins above replacement. Of course, Mookie Betts being a far superior um, defensive player than Ted Williams was, uh, it's not really too difficult for him to put up a similar offensive season and then have a better season overall. But um, if, if we're sticking with wins above replacement, I just kind of thought it was funny with the um, Red Sox trading uh, Mookie Betts almost 100 years 
after they had sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Because if you look at their um, career war, Mookie Betts had 42 from 2014 to 2019 for the Red Sox, and Babe Ruth had 39.8 from 1914 to 1919. So in terms of win value, you basically got rid of the same guy 100 years apart. <laughs> wow. Well, let's settle down on the same guy. He's not the same guy. No, I, I'm just talking about the contribution to the team in terms of wins. And that's only if you put in any stock into war, because I know a lot of people are uh, curmudgeons and very anti-progressive in terms of um, uh, baseball statistics. Others anti-progressive in terms of other things. So I'm just looking back at Mookie, too, from last year. And uh, it, some of the, the advanced metrics here. So his, his OPS dropped from 1078 down to 915. His OPS plus went from 186 to 135. I just wonder if you think Betts is ever going to have the season again that he had back in 2018, or is he more the guy that he, had, that he was last year, which is still a great player. I mean, he was top 10 in MVP. He's a gold glove. He's an all-star. He's everything. But is that 2018 season just done? That's never happening again? It's, it's hard for me to say that because he was only 25 years old when he had his MVP season. And then last year, um, you know, the juiced ball season, I guess you could say that this was a down season for Mookie Betts after that breakout season. But um, it's, it's kind of difficult to even say that. Is he closer to the 2019 player than the 2018 player he was? Probably. But I think he, the real Mookie Betts falls somewhere in between. Uh, regardless, though, when you're talking about a guy, you, I talked about war when it comes to his um, his stats. But if, if you want to talk about the back of the baseball card stats, we're, we're talking about a dude who's a 30 homers, 130 runs, close to 100 RBI out of the leadoff spot, and then around 30 stolen bases. That, that that's an absolute all-star, like top three MVP guy every single season. Like 18 was one of the greatest years in the history of baseball. That's Undoubtedly. how good it was, right? Absolutely. Oh, it's, yeah. just, it's remarkable looking at the numbers that he had. It really did just completely blow my mind. Uh, let's move on to a guy that I think if you didn't watch baseball very much in the 80s or maybe even, the, I would say even up to the mid-90s, unless you're a savant like Spader, you didn't know him. Dave Steve with the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the best pitchers in the game during his year. I think you know him and Jack Morris and those two guys were – head and shoulders above the rest if you look from 1980 to like 1989 those are the two guys we had a conversation about this at least on twitter uh, it had to be at least six weeks ago who was the best pitcher of the 1980s and didn't dave steve lead all pitchers and wins not that it matters as much today but back when that was the deciding factor on how good you were dave steve was that guy now, so Steve, actually, that's where he struggles. That's where he gets the bad rep is his wins and loss record isn't quite there. What he led everybody in the 80s was uh, wins above replacement. So mm. from um, 1980 to 1989, he tallied 48.1 war to uh, the second place, who was Jack Morris, uh, 38.2. So nearly 10 better than Morris, who's already in the Hall of Fame. And uh, if you look at the dozen seasons from 80 to 91, Steve leads all of pitchers with 55.6, which really encompasses his career. But um, there's a reason why a guy needs 10 seasons to be in the Hall of Fame. 
Now, I'm not prepared to fully advocate for Dave Steve as a Hall of Famer, but if um, shamelessly plug my own article on my own show, if you check out the article that I had written, I make a case that he probably should have won multiple Cy Young Awards, could have won um, three very easily, and ha even had a possibility of winning four. And um, there's a lot of other fun numbers that I've discovered in, in taking an interest in Steve, uh, specifically regarding that wins and loss record. He's 176 and 137, which is a far cry from that 300-win benchmark that you typically expect from a Hall of Famer. Now, when I say typically, of course, we're looking at guys 50, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, Roy Halladay just got in with 201 or 203 victories. I can't recall off the top of my head. That 300-win benchmark is is long gone. And you look at Steve's numbers beyond the win-loss record. Well, he had 44 career starts in which he went uh, at least nine innings, allowed no more than two earned runs, and didn't get a victory. And he was 0-14 with a 1.8 ERA in those starts. So we're talking 44 more games that he threw a complete game's worth of innings, some of them going to extra innings, of course, and um, didn't give up any more than two earned runs, so a 2.22 ERA or less, and he didn't win any of those. That could have been 44 more victories, which would have been 220 more, uh, or excuse me, 220 total for his career. And then we're not even having this conversation because the guy's already in a hall in the Hall of Fame. And then one other thing that I found absolutely fascinating was that um, he he once tossed three no or three one hitters over the span of four different starts, and um, the first two, which were thrown consecutively, were both. Uh, he lost the no-hitters with two outs in the ninth inning. So he gets one more out in both of those games. He's the second pitcher in history to throw back-to-back no-hitters. The rest of his career is good enough for the Hall of Fame. So if that happens, he's probably already in. So uh, I, I'd consider him as a borderline guy. I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to be all in on Dave Steve. i got to give it a better look, and I don't like going – full bore with these guys until I'm 100% in, but um, I, he's somebody that I'm definitely going to do some more research in, and somebody who I'm definitely prepared to say deserved more than the seven votes that he got. But again, wins just are a joke these days, but he had 130-something wins. He was right up there in wins in the, in the era, but when you talk about Hall of Fame, you got to look at the other stats, and that's how he would get in. I also don't remember this. He didn't play, so he had a, when they won the World Series in 92, he, he wasn't the face of the organization, but he was their best pitcher just for a decade. And then in 92, he ended up having a horrible season. 93 went to the White Sox. He took four full seasons off and came back at the age of 40 with the Blue Jays in 1998. And I didn't even remember that. So, so that, to you, me, was odd. Do you know what the story is behind that? No, please tell me. That's why I'm asking. Okay, so uh, Steve was retired from baseball after injuries um, as you can see, kind of derailed him in 92, and then 93, he was horrible. And it, so he was done. He was finished with the game. And had he not played in 1998, he would have been on the ballot for 99 and probably would have gotten a lot more than the um, seven votes that he had, he had um, gotten, maybe even stayed on with the better than 5%. Um, but he was uh, invited to the Blue Jays' spring training in 1998 as a special instructor and he was just throwing a batting practice and um Clements went up to him he was with the Blue Jays at the time and he was like man you got to be pitching you still got it 
And he was like, oh, come on, you got to be kidding me. This is sort of like a, a Disney movie, honestly, it should be. And he was like, no way. And that's how he ended up pitching for the Blue Jays again. He, um, before he got the call back to the Jays, he was pitching in the minors. And he was ready to uh, – he didn't want to pitch in the minors. He was ready to call it quits even before he got started. The only reason he followed through with it – was because he didn't feel like dealing with the media because this guy notoriously, the only thing he hated more than the opposing batter was the uh, the media. And I say hated the opposing batter. He led the league and hit batsmen five seasons. <laughs> um, in 1998, in AAA, he made a dozen starts, two complete games, mind you, at 40 years old, and had a 2.78 ERA. And so he ended up getting the call back to the major league level. Um, he only made three starts for the Jays, but pitched in 19 games, and he pitched all right, 4.83 uh, ERA, which it, when you have as few innings as he did, just over 50, it can get ran up there by a, a bad outing or two, and he, and he had one or two of those that really drove it up there. He pitched really well in relief, though. Um, in his three starts, he just didn't really, really have it and probably could have pitched a little more in relief, too, to be honest. I did not know that we were going to spend this much time on Dave Steve, but I'll give you one more thing on Dave Steve. He went to the uh, he went to Southern Illinois University. Okay, oh, two things. First of all, they win the World Series in ninety two, ninety three. He's not even on the postseason roster uh, in nineteen ninety two. So that, that kind of sucked because he, I mean, he was the guy there. And the second thing is he went to the university, uh, Southern Illinois University. Well, I had a chance to go to there or to the University of Kansas, and I didn't go to to SIU because my best friend went there, and I would have failed out. But they have a great tradition. I don't know if they still have it. It's called uh, taking the strip. So basically you go there and you get hammered and you run out uh, onto the street coming out of the bars and everybody just gets just blasted. You're drinking and stuff. And I was an idiot. I think I was 19 years. I'm still an idiot, but 19 years old. And I decided to start a fuck the pigs chant, uh, which is a, something I would never do today. And I would never recommend anybody doing that. But uh, we're in a bar. We start saying fuck the pigs <laughs> Everybody runs out into the street, and we started shaking a semi-truck that was in the middle of the road back and forth. And I thought that it was going to fall on us, so we started running away. I ran right into a cop and got maced in the face. That's my that, Southern Illinois Dave Steve story. That is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Justin, what we've been doing this for uh, not even three weeks now, I've now discovered about my, uh, my great co-host, Holden Kushner, that he is pro-pandemic. Correct. And anti-police see now this the, now everybody makes mistakes when they're young and i actually like my friend brought this up a couple years ago i said i feel absolutely awful about that because you know i try i go out of my way to make sure my kids are friends with the police kids are afraid of the police and they, they'll give my kids stickers and stuff like that but you, know, you go back in time you do a lot of stupid things when you're in college and that's the only time i ended up getting maced i got the lips my lips just went absolutely numb uh, okay nolan ryan who, again, everybody's looking through baseball cards. We're so bored. I've been looking through all these baseball cards. Never won a Cy Young Award. Most dominant pitcher of his generation, right? Well, he was there for like four generations. He pitched in four decades. This guy never won a Cy Young Award. So we're going to talk a lot more about this than we anticipated on the stats, and it's going to be less about Nolan Ryan now than it's going to be BBWAA because it's some of the same problems that Jack Morris ran into. R Ryan absolutely should have won the um, – 1987 National League Cy Young Award. He, why didn't he? Well, because his win-loss record was terrible. Why? Well, he played for the Astros, and they were awful. He had no offensive support. Um, Ryan fell victim to that 
1987, who won the Cy Young Award? Steve Bedrosian, who was the closer for the Phillies. All he did that year was lead the league in saves with like 40, I think. The reason he won the uh, Cy Young Award was because Baseball Writers Association of America was ahead of the times, just as they always are, or at least they think they are, right? They know... They know the value of closing a game and finishing out a game long before everybody else does, right? Because they're in the know and nobody else has any idea. That's why they were handing out MVPs to guys like Willie Hernandez and Raleigh Fingers uh, because it was the thing to do. You had relief pitchers winning the Cy Young Award every other year with throwing 80 to 100 innings per season when you have other dudes pumping 240, 50, 60 innings. It's absolutely ridiculous, and that's the reason... Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young Award. But speaking to that horrible record that he had with the Houston Astros, one of my favorite all-time Nolan Ryan stats is that he had 198 career no-win quality starts, and he was 0-107 in in those with a 2.27 ERA, averaging 9.77 strikeouts per nine with only .4 home runs per nine allowed. So we're talking 198 no-win quality starts, and 107 of those are some of his uh, career losses, which he, this guy could have easily been a 400-win pitcher. And I think his career at the time was, uh, I, I'll say properly rated. I don't think we ha- really have a word for not overrated, not underrated. It was properly rated at the time because he was this big-time strikeout guy. He didn't get that bad rep that Dave Steeb had because he didn't have the win-loss uh, record that everybody should have at that time, but um, then he sort of got a, a reputation for being overrated because, uh, I, I guess in the 90s, because his win-loss percentage was close to 500 or something, and that sort of carried on over into today to a degree that I think Nolan Ryan's actually um, underrated. And then just uh, one last thing on Ryan, uh, something that I found, and this is out of left field, but I, I found this to be kind of hilarious. Nolan Ryan and uh, a pitcher for the Reds, Gary Nolan, were both named All-Stars in 1972. Uh, Nolan Ryan debuted 216 days before Gary Nolan. His final game, Nolan, uh, now this is where it gets confused. Gary Nolan's final game was September 18, 1977. Nolan Ryan's final game was September 22, 1993. And uh, Nolan Ryan is one year and 117 days older and Gary Nolan. So not only did his career encompass the entire career of this other guy with whom he was an all-star in, uh, in 1972, but he uh, also began his career long before and lasted long after while he was older than the guy. Listen, Spader, um, I always have a little story on the back end of these, and I've told you this before, you might not remember. There's three guys that I will never forget, told me they were a fan of mine. So this, again, was when I was back on XM and Sirius XM or on MLB Network Radio. And I don't want to talk baseball all year long anymore. It's just it's not my thing. I love talking baseball. I really love talking baseball uh, once the season comes around, spring training. And I have no problem talking about it one or two days a week in the offseason. But every day, six days a week, six out of seven days was killing me. Nolan Ryan said he was a big fan. Uh, Tony Gwynn said he was a big fan, and Bobby Cox was a big fan. Nolan Ryan, to this day now, has gone from one of my public enemies because he was on that 1986 Astros team that almost took the Mets down to now one of my favorite guys in the world. So that's what I'll throw in on that. So we did uh, mean things about cops and Nolan Ryan being a great guy. I had 
You did not tell me that before. I, I did. I had no idea. Nolan Ryan was a. Uh, he goes. I'm a big fan. He goes. I listen to y'all all the time. I listen to y'all all the time when I'm driving across the country. And then I had a conversation with him about Advil because he used to do these Advil commercials. I, I can't imagine his arm ever hurting him. That's the most durable pitcher in the history of the game, at least in the modern era. I feel like with everybody going on the DL, all this guy did was go out and throw 200 some innings every single year. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool though. That's a that's a good story. Uh, yeah, Nolan Ryan saying he's a fan of yours. That had to sustain you for for a couple months. Well, um, he probably doesn't remember me now. It's all these years. Maybe he does. Who the hell knows? But um, well, yeah, and it just shows you the trajectory of my career. It's kind of like coronavirus. Well, uh, it starts off low, it goes really high, and then you know it goes down. I'm hoping there's another wave up, but who knows at this point? You know, if you if you didn't want to talk so much baseball, you should have just stayed with the the fan in DC. Yeah. I've, uh, so, anyways, my friend. <laughs> Sorry. <but laughs> that's that's fine. It doesn't even bother me. Um, here we go. Let's get back to the pandemic now. Players open to games without fans, and they might have games at neutral sites. So. Tony Clark came out, and he's the uh, director of the Players Association. He had a 45-minute little powwow last week, and he said, listen, uh, we've heard a lot of players that say they don't want to play in front of no fans, but for the most part, we're hearing that players are open to that, and they're open to playing at neutral sites. You brought this up a couple weeks ago, seven-inning doubleheaders, things like that. So my question for you, and I got a pretty strong opinion on this, but how do you think that affects the viewing experience to me, and it's just my two cents throwing it in before you go, I just want baseball. I just want to see games. But games without fans this season, games at neutral sites, how would that affect viewership, do you think? So it, it, I kind of have, a, I guess, a contrarian view to some of these players who don't want games without fans. Of course, I just want baseball. But I think it would be one of the best things for the game, especially if it's while people are still stuck in their homes or on. And I guess it would be at a point in which nobody's quarantined, but people are for the most part still staying home. Because what better time to get people interested in baseball when nothing else is going on? There's mm. nothing else to do. Uh, nobody's going anywhere. There's nowhere to go. Everybody's sitting at home on their thumbs. Well, let's tune into a baseball game, and that would be an, an opportunity that Major League Baseball would really have to seize, really have to capitalize on, and somehow make it an experience worthwhile that will make somebody uh, want to come back and watch baseball once it's you know normal again. And uh, the analogy I have is like, since all of this has been going on, I've been cooking three, four days a week, which is something I usually don't do. I unfortunately order out a lot, and. I've been really enjoying that, so it's something that I will continue to do, likely, after all of this. Um, probably not if I get lazy again, but um, the uh, I, I just would see it as an opportunity to bring new fans to the game, and everybody else is, it's hurt, we're hurting for baseball, uh, the country's hurting, it's, I'm not going to say it's like 9-11, but it, it would be something really, really good to bring everybody back into the game and uh, bring potentially even new people to the game. It would just be a matter of how Major League Baseball handled it and making that experience one worthwhile and one worth coming back to. See, that's going to be the challenge. Like, Do you pipe in crowd noise? Do you put like uh, just cardboard cutouts into the stands? So if you're not into baseball and you're watching baseball, think of how, how just bizarre the atmosphere is going to be. And we go back to that game in Baltimore a few years ago. 
Um, and you're right. This would be the only sport going on at that time. They had been talking about college football starting that in July, which would kind of be really crazy too. But uh, games without fans are fine. I'm okay with that. Games at neutral sites, that is what's really interesting to me because I think that could actually be a really – a really fun thing for baseball in a tournament style day. So let's say you have, and I haven't thought out the number of sites that you would have to do it at, but if you had eight teams or that wouldn't work, you'd have to have 10 teams. If you had 10 teams at three different sites and you had five games at a day and you started early in the morning, you went through all night long and you had these games televised every day and they figured out a way to put it on national television. That, to me, would be the funnest thing, would have neutral site games. Now, basically, unless it's in the backyard of the teams that are playing, you're only going to have gamblers sitting there and, and fantasy players going to every single one of the games. But if you put them in big cities, in, and you probably want some domes, too. you, you got to avoid Florida. The play, that, there's just horrible baseball towns. But towns like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, St. Louis, these great baseball towns, I feel like – Maybe even if it's only three games a day and you have, what would that be, five different sites? Maybe that's the way to go. Three games in a day, five different sites, neutral sites. St. Louis fans are so nice. They, they cheer for everybody but the Cubs, and there's a lot of Cubs fans down there. That, to me, is the way to go. I would love to see three games in a day at one neutral site at multiple neutral sites. How about you? Yeah, I think it's a great idea, especially if it's going to get more baseball games in. Now, whether or not we're talking in front of fans or not, I think that's going to make a difference. I, I think they'd probably be more inclined to do that if they're playing uh, devoid of fans. But if it's going to mean getting more baseball games in, I think that's what it's going to come to. And I, I do think that the stadiums would probably fill up. You you look at, um, I guess it's almost like, a, what, the March Madness tournament style, right? Yeah, because you have four games at, at most of the locations earlier, but you also really have to think about where you're playing these games. Again, I, I'm on record for years saying this. Baseball, Major League Baseball does not belong in Florida. Nothing belongs have, in Florida. Well, alligators, prehistoric animals, dinosaurs, boa constrictors, and anything from the people. prehistoric era that belongs in Florida. Everything else should be gone. I think it's a great place for minor league baseball, okay? That's all the old people that are there. My parents are there. Go to some baseball games. They love hanging out and having a good time, but no one cares about baseball there. You have to figure out the right places, and you also have to figure out if you're going to be so dependent on a massive number of games being played at a site, you're going to have to figure out where you play them so that you get the good weather. You can't afford to have a rain out in a shortened season, which is unfortunate, but let's say Los Angeles would be a fine place to go. I don't think Seattle is as big enough of a baseball town as much as I love it there, as much as that town I love it. I don't think Seattle is the right place. I don't think Texas. Um, may maybe because the Astros are good still. Houston might be fascinating to play some of these games. You've got to find the right venues. It helps to have a dome or a retractable roof. And that's why I'm a little concerned. Major League Baseball, there's very few cities where it's the top sport. Boston and New York are two of those towns. It would be amazing to see Boston and New York and Chicago have those games. I just don't know if you could do it and you could take the risk because of the weather. Yeah, uh, you know what actually would be pretty cool is if uh, uh, maybe like Major League Baseball took, I don't know, I guess a two-week period where they stuck all 
30 teams in, are you familiar with the USA Baseball Training uh, Complex yes. in Cary, North Carolina? Yes. They have so many fields there. They could play games for two weeks straight and uh, get everybody in there. Very limited seating, and I think that would be a pretty cool experience. These are these are big league fields. Uh, I think most of them are... Um, the 330, 400, 330 uh, symmetrical. You'd probably see a little uh, bit of uh, increase in home runs. But I think that would be pretty cool. It'd be like an all-out frenzy if the media was allowed in there with all 30 teams. But it, it could be a, a pretty cool experience. I, I think uh, it's too. fascinating. I've been down there, and it's close to Raleigh, and it's close to Durham. Raleigh-Durham, it's right there. So it's not really sm- – it's a beautiful place, too, when it's warm out. But there's a couple of towns there – then you got to figure out logistics, like where people are staying. I think you'd have to keep it to the big cities, personally. That's yeah, just my right. personal my personal feeling about that. Um, it, the thing that would really bother me is not having any games in New York, Chicago, and Boston, just because you don't know what the weather is. And time is of the essence. You can't play a game and have a, a chance of a rainout. You just you can't you can't have that. So whether it's L.A., Anaheim, Houston. Any of these other places with, with domes or roofs or really good weather, that's what you'd have to limit it to. I think what we need to do is hire some of those Chinese hospital builders oh and get them, get them to put a roof over Yankee Stadium. <laughs> you know, in New York, they, they build a whole bunch of stuff there, too. Maybe we can play some more baseball on an aircraft carrier. They do baseball. They do basketball on that. All right, after that comment, I know we're done with the topic. Anyways, bet online. I want to tell you about betonline.ag. We got no baseball, hockey, NBA. We got nothing sports wise. You might think there's nothing to bet on, though, and you're wrong because our partner still has hundreds of sporting events and uh, games to wager on. More game, more kind of not sporting event games, though, to wager on. Got an online casino, casino and blackjack. It's open 24 hours a day. Three quarters of a million dollar in a poker series, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, the weather, uh, over under on how long Trump speaks. I think they might be doing that now. Visit the site, get a hundred percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Use the code BlueWire. BetOnline.ag. BetOnline. Your online wagering experts. Why am I seeing Spader? Why am I seeing that? The All-Star game could open up the season. I get it to close the season, like after the season, have an All-Star game. Why the hell would you have an All-Star game to open up the season when you don't know who to put in the game? That is stupid. I don't know how that got out, but there's no way that could be a legitimate option. Forget that, uh, like having it open the season and who to put in the game, but why forego an additional three days of of the season to have a stupid All-Star game? We need to get games in. Who the hell cares about an all-star game? You're going to take every single player's, or excuse me, every single team's best player from them and then have them not play games for three days so that you can have an all-star event in one city thinking nobody even likes the all-star game. I, I see no purpose there. I just do away with it this year and, and just carry on with the season. <sighs> it's just, just some of the ideas that are coming out are stupid, and I wish that people in Major League Baseball would stop bringing them up. That makes absolutely no sense. Hey, let's just throw the guys that were in there last year and put them in there this year. Done. It, it, just stop it already. And if you want to play it at the end of the season, fine. But this kind of works into what Clayton Kershaw was saying. And for those of you that haven't heard what Clayton Kershaw was saying, let me, let me get you some quotes from him because he rarely speaks publicly. And he said this. He said, um, I think expanding the season a couple of weeks on the back end 
is fine. But if you go any further than that, you're talking about Thanksgiving and December for a World Series, and that gets iffy in my opinion. Uh, so that's the end of the season was what Kershaw was talking about. And if you're already stretched out and players stop playing for two weeks because they haven't been in the playoffs or three or four weeks, having an all-star game at the end of the year doesn't make sense either. I think the all-star game is just kaput. Stick a fork in it. They're not having the all-star game this year. That's it's dumb and it makes no sense, right? But his concern is going too deep into the offseason. And I would say this. Your bodies are getting rested now. Maybe you're out throwing, doing some long toss. Position players are still taking their hacks and stuff like that. But at this point, um, if you have to get the season in and you got to play in Thanksgiving or you got to play in mid-December, you got to do what you got to do to get this. The, sorry for the cliche. You got to do that to get the season in. And I know he doesn't want to play that late. And a, a lot of players probably don't want to because now you're turning around and you get two months of rest before February comes. So it's very short rest between the 2020 season and the 2021 season, but there's no doubt that it's going to be abbreviated. So why not go as deep as you can in, to get as many games in, especially in the playoffs, as possible? Yeah, I, I, maybe, who knows, maybe this is Major League Baseball's first step to taking an NFL-like step to eliminating some of the preseason or spring training. Um, as far as Clayton Kershaw's comments, I mean, he used the word iffy. Like, what, what do you mean iffy? It, it, it's To be honest, he probably just doesn't want to play. The guy's made a quarter of a billion dollars in his career. Oh, come on. Don't you tell me that Clayton Kershaw doesn't want to play anymore. That's asinine. I'm not saying he doesn't want to play anymore. You but just did. No, I'm saying he probably just doesn't want to play in November and December because he has other things that take priority in that time. He's not, the guy doesn't want to be pitching in November and December. There's no reason to. He's already made a quarter of a billion dollars. Why would he want to do that? Not that much money. Mm. Quarter of a billion dollars. <laughs> That's why he keeps pitching, man. He's just trying. I can't believe he's been in the league for this long, too. 2008? God, it's been a long. I remember seeing him in the 2008 playoffs when they're facing your Phillies. The Phillies ended up beating him on a, a Matt Stairs home run. That kid, nobody's talking to him. He didn't like talking to anybody. Uh, and I didn't think at the time that he was going to be maybe the best pitcher of his generation, but by God. Um, so he doesn't want to play late into the year. We would love that. We have no problem with that. But he also said it'd take about 20 days. And this is the second time I've heard this. I've heard this, and I don't remember who else it was from Major League Baseball saying they'd need about three weeks to get ready to the season. He's saying they need about 20 days, which is not bad, right? And, and I think that every year we could probably do with less uh, spring training games, but the owners want more of these games so they can make more money. But here's what else Kershaw says. If all the starting pitchers came back with a mindset that we are going to throw three innings right out of the gate, you'd only need 20 days, and that gets you four starts, and then you'd be ready for the season. That's interesting to me. And I wonder if you're throwing three innings to start the season, and if it's an abbreviated season, how long can you – how much does that change the game? Because now, now bullpens that are important are even more important. And the rosters are still going to have to get expanded, Ryan. Yeah, well, what the hell is the difference if they're throwing three innings anyway? Most starters are only throwing three to five anyway. So let's, let's just go ahead and kick it off right away. Don't screw spring training. Th go out there, throw your three innings, and then move on to the next guy. All right. I got uh, two other things I want to talk about before we get out of here. Uh, what are you doing? I'm locked. Right now I'm locked in the house. You know I'm recovering from this. Achilles rupture. I can't walk, so I can't go outside and take walks. Uh, the Denver weather was gorgeous for like four days. Then we had four inches of snow. 
Then it melted the next day. We've had two days of cold weather. we got nice weather coming up again. I'm stuck in the house. I'm bored as hell. I love my kids. I love hanging out with my kids. We have a lot of fun, too. But at some point in time, I just want to go out and have a walk or something like that, and I'm not doing anything. Today, I took a nap for the first time in like six months. I used to love napping, but I haven't taken a nap in ages. Um, I'm eating pint, I'm, I'm eating half gallons of ice cream a day now. It's disgusting. I'm sitting on my ass and watching garbage television. I, and during the day, I want to hang out with my kids. So I binge watched Ozark two straight nights from 10 a.m. Uh, from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. It's horrible. This is just miserable. And I always thought that sitting on my ass and doing nothing was my dream. Like, that's my dream job. This sucks. What are you doing? You're playing long toss with your girlfriends, social distancing, 60 feet, six inches. What else are you doing right now? Uh, well, like I said, all I've been really doing is sit in my place. The only time I go anywhere is I'll, I'll go. I'm going to embarrass her. She's 28. She just graduated from grad school. She lives with her parents, and uh, they're older. So I'll bring stuff over there for them so they don't have to go out and uh, I'll hang out there. But other than that, I'm just in my place. I've been, like I said, I'm not eating half gallons of ice cream because I can't go to the gym uh, and work that stuff off. I've been uh, cooking a lot. So that's that's really the only difference for me. Um, I've been doing a lot of prison workouts, as I would say, because I don't have any access burpees? to the gym. No, I don't do burpees. Burpees are for Marines. Come on. That's the number, <laughs> <laughs> that's the number one prison exercise, according to whatever those shows are that I watch all the time. No, nah, I'm doing like uh, 2,000 push-ups a day. 2,000? Yeah, that's right. That's not well, true. It is true. No, it's not. So yeah, you would yeah. have to do, let's see, at my peak, I was doing 75 push-ups at a clip. So let's just Get, say you're doing 100 push-ups at a clip. You're doing 100 push-ups every hour. No, I do. I t well, so I, I could do about 150 in one set, but I, I usually break them up to 50. So I, uh, anywhere on a given day, I'm doing anywhere between 20 and 40 sets of 50. And uh, you can get your boy Blummer on the horn. I sent him a video of me doing one-handed push-ups, all right? So don't you uh, call me out. I can't even do push-ups because I'd have to do girl push-ups with my knees on the ground. Oh, now we need What did you call them? They're girl push-ups. <laughs> Whoa! Well, listen, my soon-to-be... Anti-cop and oh, anti-woman. <laughs> and pro-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm actually teaching my five-year-old daughter not to do girl push-ups, but that's what they're called. Like, they, they make girls do, and I think, I think think they still do that. They make them do the push-ups with the knees on the ground. That doesn't even matter. That doesn't even do anything for you. I can't do anything. I can't put my feet on the ground. I can't do push-ups. I'm going to have to do, I don't have a bench press at my house, but how do you do bench press without putting your feet on the ground? This just sucks. I'm just miserable. This is horrible. I mean, no sex, no working out. Just know nothing. I'm, I'm a no baseball. Nothing to pass the time. I'm watching the 1995 NBA Finals. I watched the 1986 National League Championship Series this week. Just it, This sucks, Spader. This absolutely sucks ass. Yeah, well, everybody's probably listening to you complain, and they're like, fuck this guy. My, my, my grandmother's dying right well, now. Well, that sucks. Okay, now, it's all, diff it's all in perspective. It's yeah, all a matter of perspective. Everything's uh, way, relative, right? Uh, there might be a person in my house with coronavirus. I'll let you know later in the week, though. Uh, <laughs> last but not least, so somehow, some way, you decided to dig up a story from March 25th, 2011. This is, uh, what is that, nine years old from Jeff Sullivan? 
who I think mm. wasn't he writing for the Chronicle or something? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Who the hell knows? Not the biggest fan. Tell me the story that you sent me. What this is all about. Let's have some fun so that I stop complaining before the end of the show. So the D-backs had a bullpen catcher. Uh, I can't. I think it was Jeff uh, Mudazas or something. I can't remember the hell his name was. And um, this guy was really sort of like a fear factor type dude and that players would be like all right i'll bet you 50 bucks you won't do this and he would do it and these these things would get really far-fetched to the point that it got to the degree that a levon hernandez actually um bet him three thousand dollars and i don't think it was even a bet it was like if you can do this i'll give you three grand uh to whether or not he could drink a gallon of milk in 12 minutes and he succeeded and hernandez kind of comes out looking like I guess a bad dude or a weirdo in all of this. Uh, Sullivan went as far as to call him uh, in his story, uh, I believe, a murderer who has yet to kill, which is hmm. creepy in and of itself. But um, uh, Hernandez had a deal with this guy that he could punch him in the nuts whenever he wanted for 50 bucks. And then every 10th punch, uh, the, ba- the bullpen catcher would receive a premium of $300 a punch. But this guy would do anything from getting punched in the nuts to um, taking bean balls to uh, drinking dip spit, all kinds of nasty stuff just for extra cash on the side. Now, I can't help but wonder, do you think he was um, filling out a, uh, a 1099 for his, uh, his pocket change? You told that whole story for a horrible one-off one-liner? <laughs> oh, Are come you on. kidding me? <laughs> By the way, that's probably why Levon Hernandez declared bankruptcy after making over $50 million in his career. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, when you're paying a guy to punch him in the nuts and you're giving up $10,000 a nut punching session, and that other, the catcher had to be on roids, right, because his nuts had to shrink. There's no way you're taking full shots with normal-sized nuts. I got to be honest, man. I don't know what bullpen catchers make uh, nowadays, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, take that deal for like five grand a shot that that messes you up like, like physically it messes you up yes yeah i can't do that so bullpen catchers i mean they, they can make these days they make close to a hundred thousand dollars yeah there's no way i'm doing that for that extra side cash absolutely not yeah me, but if i'm making six figures go, go to hell you're not punching me in the but nuts. 10 years my dignity's worth more than that you're what my dignity's worth more than that i'm not getting hit in the nuts by no no I'm, I'm not doing it either um but whatever it's just yeah, stupid. Let me throw you this one off on yeah. Hernandez just because I love the numbers. And you remember Levon Hernandez could always swing the bat a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Hernandez actually had a 13 at bat at, uh, stretch during the 2001 season where he went 12 for 13. And um, he, he ended up only winning 13 games that season. I just think it's fascinating that a pitcher of all things ended up go, uh, becoming one hit away from being the all-time consecutive hit leader, going 12 for 13. Would that have counted because he wasn't a position player and he was just Absolutely. Hits? Absolutely wow. would have counted. Wow. Levon Hernandez, bankrupt. Nationals legend. They love him in Washington, D.C. That guy, they love him in Washington, D.C. Still the uh, last San Francisco Giants pitcher to toss consecutive uh, complete game shutouts. All right, man. Very good. You got anything else going on this week? You're just going to sit on your ass and play catch with your girlfriend? No, we're going to have to see, um, I guess, 
if anybody has any interest in who they'd like us to call, we're going to have to get somebody on the on the line and do something like we did with Bernsey. Um, I don't I don't know. Who do you want to talk to? Your girlfriend. <laughs> uh, you want to talk to her? What the hell she's doing with you? Um, How would you do that? Yeah, let's get her. Why would you do that? that? Hey, want to remind everybody: leave us a five-star review on the uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, give us your favorite walk-off. And we're going to pick one lucky winner to get a copy of MLB The Show. Leave us a five-star review, and if you don't like video games, just do it anyways because you like us. It's just, or maybe you just like Ryan, or maybe you just like me. It doesn't matter. Five-star review. Give us your favorite walk-off. And then you'll have a chance to win a copy of the MLB The Show. I, I think we'll probably do it for another few weeks and then uh, pick one of our winners out of that. But I want to thank everybody for listening very much. Spader, anything you want to say before you go? No, just on the, the five-star review thing. You remember when we were doing the Best Baseball Podcast? Mm-hmm. And who was our first reviewer? Do you, do you recall? You? <laughs> no, <me>? you. <laughs> and how much heat we caught for that. And then the funny yeah, thing is Yeah, but I did we, it on purpose. Yeah, I know, I know. It was a bit, and it was funny. But the funny thing from all that is we had nothing but uh, five-star reviews because we're the best, hence the name right. or the old name. And uh, then we had like one or two or three one-star reviews because of I had oh yeah just just one a couple of them because people wanted to take the time because they hate me that much that um, they had to go ahead and try to mess with my my life. <laughs> well, I think that um, you, my friend, I think that you have gotten people on the hate bandwagon for me, uh, incorrectly stating that I love pandemics, hate police officers, and I, and, and girl push-ups. I uh, well, just completely twisted my words to make it like I still believe all that stuff. I I'm, completely changed my mind on the pandemic thing. <laughs> when I was I'm just when to, I was in my 20s, I loved a good pandemic. Now it's not a good thing. I'm just trying to bring you down to my level, brother. Mm. All right, pal. Thanks to Blue Wire for uh, putting us on their uh, their company. Thanks to Kevin Jones and and John is our producer too. He takes he edits everything and. Tyler Chin and all the guys there. And we will catch you again on Thursday with an interview here on The Walk Off.